Hello, and welcome back. My name is Andrew. And I'm Cole, and this is Control AC. Control IC is the podcast where we talk about heated seats and contract violations. Our first story we're going to talk about is actually one that came out just a few minutes after we stopped recording episode four last week. So this happened last week on July 8th, sometime in the afternoon. So the headline is Elon Musk is trying to back out of his deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion. So let's kind of recap where we are so far in the Elon Twitter saga. So Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, CEO of SpaceX, is probably the most influential person on Twitter. He has, as of right now, 101 million followers, and he tweets everything from product release dates for his companies to memes and random thoughts that he has. So his Twitter account's definitely fun to follow. And he's been using the platform for years, and he decided he's done with Twitter having issues when it comes to censoring certain ideas, political ideas or censoring certain political figures. He said that that's unacceptable and it should be a completely free speech platform. So one day Elon decides that he's going to buy Twitter. So he writes up a contract. He plans to buy it for $44 billion at $52.20 a share. And Twitter agrees. Elon Musk started buying the Twitter stock in March, and then he ended up owning about 9.2% after spending quite a bit of money on it. He disclosed these holdings and then was offered a seat on the Twitter board, which he actually declined. After this, Twitter accepted his deal to buy at $44 billion. And Musk said he would prioritize free speech as well as the elimination of bots. That's a big deal if I'm getting rid of bots. Yeah, the bot problem on Twitter is really bad. He estimated that I think it was 5% of Twitter's user base was just bots. Really? Which is a significant number. If you've ever looked at a famous person's tweet like within minutes of it going out, it has like a hundred comments and they're all bots. Like it's, it's a serious problem the platform has. And Elon said that him buying Twitter would allow him to solve this problem. So on May 15th, Elon said that the deal was being put on hold because he believed that the bot problem was worse than what Twitter was saying and Twitter was not giving him the proper information. So 16, 16.5 million of Twitter's users are bots. 16.5 million bots. Five of which no longer follow me. So that's a big problem then. Yeah, it definitely is. So it's great that he offered to buy it for the bot problem, and it's great that he offered to buy it for free speech. But isn't Twitter worldwide? Yes. So free speech would cause problems in other countries. Right. And also you can't be totally like ultra free speech because then you have no content yeah, moderation. You have no filter at all. And yeah. then you can just like plan illegal activity on Twitter. Then it would just become Discord at that you point. Because it's right. But so you have to have some sort people. of content moderation, which I don't know if Elon, I don't think Elon has made his stance on that clear. After Elon requested more information, apparently Twitter gave him more, but Elon was still not happy. Elon said that 
he was not given the proper information about the company to proceed. So on July 8th, Elon Musk told the SEC that he was terminating the contract. So immediately after this, Twitter said that they will sue Elon Musk to force him to buy the company, which is hilarious. That's they a went big from, deal. They went from not wanting him to buy it originally to now we're going to force you to buy it. That's a big deal, though. Musk believes that Twitter violated the terms of the deal. Yeah, that's his whole argument. Twitter violated the terms. Twitter should let him off the hook. What terms did Twitter supposedly violate? Like, So he's claiming that they didn't give him the proper information to proceed with the deal. Like what? Do we know? Uh, informa- he really focused on information about bots. Like That's the whole reason behind him backing out of the deal. Hmm. Musk signed the merger agreement without access to any inside info apparently as well. So he kind of went into this blind and then Twitter didn't give him any information and he remained blind for as long as the deal stood. So there are two outcomes of this now. So the first is Elon Musk pays a billion dollars in fines. So basically part of the contract was if it all falls through, the party at fault has to pay a billion dollars. Which is Elon. Which Twitter is trying to argue is Elon because he's stepping out of the deal. Mm -hmm. Elon's also trying to argue that, of course, it's Twitter's fault and Twitter should pay him a billion dollars. The second outcome is Elon Musk is forced to buy Twitter. So apparently uh, Twitter's lawyers are going to either force him to pay the billion dollars or force him to go through with the deal. Do you think that if Twitter makes Elon pay the billion to back out, do you think he's going to leave Twitter? He could, he could pull a Trump and start his own social media network, absolute free speech. But just in the U.S.? I don't know. He could, prop, he could pull that off. Trump left, or Trump was kicked off of Twitter, and he started his own social media network, Truth Social, which failed horribly <laughs> because there was no content moderation. There weren't many users. That didn't work. But I think Elon could definitely pull that off. The problem is... If you're familiar with Tesla, you know that they don't spend a dollar in marketing. Basically, all of their marketing is done on Twitter. Like if Elon said on Twitter, go buy a Model 3, Model 3 sales would immediately spike. Elon has the power on Twitter to say, go buy, you know, 100 bucks in Dogecoin and make Dogecoin go right to the moon. He has the power to just tweet something and literally make Tesla stock like double and make him billions of dollars. Like, his influence is crazy. I think he's the most influential person, like, in the world. I don't think there's anyone else who has that much power on social media. I definitely think that's fair to say. Because, like, if he tweeted, like, your example, go buy $100 in Dogecoin, then he could just sell it and make so much money. Right. And so could a ton of other people. That's why he's been in trouble a lot in the past. People think that he shouldn't, that he should be somewhat regulated on Twitter because he can put a bunch of money into a stock tell everyone to buy the stock and just make a quick billion dollars off of it. That's just so crazy to think. Like, he's literally, like, in unlimited money. His fans are so loyal, too. Like, there's a reason why Tesla sells out of the cyber whistle or the cyber quad. Like, every little thing they make. If you watched Tesla's uh, cyber rodeo event in Texas from a few months ago, there was this lady in the front row of of the audience literally crying when Elon came out 
and the whole audience was screaming at him the whole time. Like if he just paused mid sentence, there would be applause for 30 seconds. Like he, people so the new t- the absolutely new- love him. So the new model three, right? It's just constant clapping the whole time. It could, he, he could end on like a conjunction and they start clapping. Right. He, he says something, he says stuff in the, I mean, we, we love Elon, but like, he's not the best presenter. Sometimes he's not the best presenter. Um, and he will like mess up a sentence or something and like say something or say something confusing and then it, it'll just be applause. <laughs> I feel like he reminds me a lot like Steve Jobs. Like original Steve Jobs? Like, oh yeah, like the OG Steve Jobs. So the theory that Ben Shapiro has about this is that Elon wants to dump $8.5 billion in Tesla stock that he has. He can't just dump all of the stock randomly because then Tesla stock would tank and he would lose more money. So instead of randomly selling it, he basically attached it to a reason. So he said, I'm selling the stock to get money to buy Twitter. And everyone was like, okay, and the stock didn't crash. So he went into this agreement to buy the company and then said, if you breach the contract, you have to pay a billion dollars. Those were the terms. So that's actually a really good deal for him. So he can liquidate the $8.5 billion in stock without tanking Tesla stock price, and it only costs him a billion dollars from violating the contract. So basically, Elon just has the intelligence to work the stock market. Yeah, he's basically playing the whole world. He's playing Twitter, he's playing Tesla. He's figured it out, he's beat the algorithm, he's out of the simulation. Basically, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's a very smart move by Elon. So we will keep tracking this story in the coming days, coming weeks, coming months, and we'll update this in future podcast episodes. So keeping with the trend of large amounts of money. BMW is keeping some of their vehicle functions behind a subscription paywall. Yeah. So remember a few weeks ago when we talked about your mom's outrageous price for her auto start? Yeah. And how she has to pay a monthly subscription for a feature already in her car. Mm -hmm. BMW heard our podcast and they liked the idea clearly and they implemented that on on their new cars that was a joke so now in your bmw which i will say bmws are pricey cars like not everyone yeah like for real. not many people drive a bmw they start at like an m3 starts at forty thousand dollars and they go up to well over a hundred grand mm-hmm. so on the already really expensive car you now have to pay a monthly subscription for heated seats in your car that's ridiculous. It is. It's a metal so, coil under a layer of leather. Right. It's already installed. So BMW is selling an $18 a month subscription to heated seats in a number of countries. I think right now it's South Korea, um, and it hasn't come to the U.S. yet. But BMW has tried to in the past to get customers to pay $80 a month to CarPlay and Android Auto, but that ended up not working after a ton of backlash, so they let people use it for free since it's already in the car. But apparently now, in the future, you will have to pay for your heated seat 
your heated seats, which are already in the car. So the problem with this is more and more car companies could start doing this, could start taking features that are already in your car and making them a subscription, which is kind of terrible. This really is annoying, not just because you're spending more money, but because they're just restricting basic functions of a vehicle on an already upwards of $20,000 cars and for BMW's $40,000 cars. Yeah, I, I, the only way I could see this being justifiable at all would be in lower end brand new cars. So like 15,000, 20,000, 25 maybe, like that lower end car area. If you're buying a lower end car, that doesn't mean you have the budget to go and spend $18 a month. Then again, yeah. Like so, that's more than Amazon Prime costs and that's just sad. What they're betting on is that you only own the car for like two or three years. So $18 a month times 12 is $216 a year. So if you times that by three, let's say you own the car for three years, that's $648. That's a car payment. Right, but that's like clicking the heated seat box when you're ordering the car for $648. So they're basically taking that option and stretching it across the lifetime of the car. But that's only if you own it for three years. If you take the $216 a year, and let's say you own your BMW, which is a very well-made car, for 10 years, that's 2160 bucks for heated seats over the whole lifespan of your car. That's and I've a never lot met anybody money. that buys a car, especially of that worth, and then keeps it for two or three years. No, if you're buying a car that's that nice, you'd keep that for more than three like years. Like you're expecting to have that for a long time. Yeah, so you, you get the car with the heated seat coils already in the car. You have to use the subscription to unlock it. We don't know if that's through the app yet, through the screen. We don't know how you pay for that, whether it's just factored into the price of the car if you commit to it. We really don't know how this works. So basically car companies are just turning into EA. Uh, basically, yeah. The other thought I had was in 10 years, your car is gonna be outdated. It's not gonna get over the air software updates. So if the software in your car isn't supported anymore, do you just lose your heated seats once your car is that old? Because you can't pay for it anymore. It's still in the car. But I guess you just lose the feature once your car is, you know, four or five years old, which again is terrible. Then you just have to buy a new car. That's annoying. I'm sure there will be a way to just turn on the heated seats. Like oh, if, yeah, if they're in the car, there will be a workaround. For sure. Someone's going to make a lot of money on a YouTube video that explains yep. how to do this. Okay, we're going to take our first break. When we get back, we'll talk about the iOS 16 public beta and early reviews of the new MacBook Air. The Control AC podcast is sponsored by The Complete Backyard. At The Complete Backyard, their priorities are God, family, country, and work. They believe that actions speak louder than words and apply the golden rule to every project they undertake, treating their clients as they would like to be treated. They take responsibility for their work and provide constant communication with their customers throughout all of the processes. For more information, go to thecompletebackyard.com. Okay, guys, welcome back from the break. 
So Andrew and I have both installed the iOS 16 public beta on our iPhones. Which is out now for anyone with an iPhone 8 or later. So Cole and I have been running the public beta and we kind of wanted to just share our thoughts on actually using iOS 16, like a full review of it. So first off, the lock screen. So the lock screen was the big improvement in iOS 16. I'm really liking it. I have this cool ocean background with a highway going through it. I have the date and time at the top and then the weather and my activity rings. So instead of a picture of an environment, I have a picture of a person and it- Who may or may not be LTT. May or may not be Lana Sebastian. But um, it gives me different options. So when you hold down, it's very similar to the Apple Watch interface. Yes, I have noticed that. You can customize it. You can, it has the same selected layer. It has pop-up menus that look good. They're, they function like you assume they would. And the coolest part to me is that when you hold down to customize your lock screen, it not only lets you customize the current lock screen, but it also shows you all of your saved lock screens. So you can have a bunch of different lock screens set for different days, different occasions. You can have like a formal lock screen. You can have a lock screen for school, one for home, which is really nice. And yeah, I especially like the different fonts that you can use for the time. Yeah, it makes it look very, very personalized. You can have like a fancy looking font. You can have like a cool, Kohl's looks like a neon font. So it does remind me of like a neon sign like that, like you're saying, like for a restaurant or something. Yeah, so home screen and lock screen is very nice. Another thing that I really like is notifications at the bottom. Oh yeah, I've absolutely been loving that. This is so helpful. So I never really get to see my lock screen because I always have Spotify open. And as you all obviously know, when you have music players open, it takes up the entire middle of the lock screen. So mm -hmm. now it is along the bottom with the notifications and it's similar to the Amazon Echo show where if you select it, it brings it up in the big, the big screen view. In sort of like a list view. You know what? It actually reminds me of the OG iTunes. How you could have it playing at the bottom and you select it and it brings the whole thing up. Oh, yeah. Spotify does it, but... Yeah, okay. So yeah, now when you have uh, a song playing, it can either be a full screen lock screen thing, like the album art takes up your whole lock screen, and it kind of, like on Spotify and Apple Music, if the album color, like for example, has a lot of blue in it, the outsides of the app will be like blue. Like mm -hmm. the app, the now playing screen, kind of takes on the color from the album art. And the lock screen does this too. And then you can tap the album art and it all shrinks down into this one little now playing bar at the bottom of your lock screen, which is really nice. And then also when you set a timer now, you can have a timer thing that constantly is updating on the bottom of your lock screen. Yeah, that is really cool. And another thing that I have, the only widget I have is for battery percentage. So when you look at your phone, your battery doesn't tell you the percentage without you having to swipe down from the top, right? Yeah. So you have your battery percentage as a lock screen widget? Yeah, it's right below my time on the left. What I do wish is that you could center the widgets. You can't, if you have one, you can center them. And then if you have two or three, they just kind of move out to the side. Not if it's a just single rectangle one. You can't oh, center yeah, it. Oh yeah, if it's a rectangle widget, it automatically goes to the left side. You can't even bring it to the right. That's really the only thing I don't like about it. Yeah, um, there, right now in terms of um, apps that have widgets on the lock screen, it's only Apple apps. So I have the battery widget, clock, fitness, home, news, reminders, stocks, and weather. 
as time goes on, there's an open API for this. So more and more companies will have um, their own lock screen widgets, which would be really nice. Overall, though, I think this really makes the iOS lock screen look great. It does look really polished. Yeah, I've shown this to several people, and they've actually been surprised. I think that customization is kind of catching a lot of people off guard because they, I mean, for 15 iOS updates, we've just had the same old lock screen. I guess this all started with iOS 14 when Apple let you do the custom app icons and widgets. And I guess since then, we've now gotten more and more customization each year. Mm -hmm. A few other things in the iOS 16 beta, the spotlight search is really snappy now, which I like. The animation when you swipe back from something is really snappy, specifically in messages. Speaking of messages, we now have the unsend and edit features in iMessage. Right now, this only works if the person you're texting also has the beta. So Cole and I can only do this with each other. And so far, I guess it works fairly well. It definitely could use some polishing. Like recently today, I've had, I was having problems with my messages app. I would send a message, but it would, the message would be blank and it would just disappear. And, I had to, and then I had to send another message again for the apps to show up. And then as far as like unsending and edit goes, that's been fine so far, I guess, mm -hmm. just between you and I. I've also had some thermal throttling issues in battery life. Oh yeah, so my battery life on iOS 16 beta has been horrendous, like absolutely terrible. My phone is getting to 50% by like 2 p.m. And that's not how it used to be at all, even on 15.6. I mean, my 12 mini already doesn't get below doesn't is not above 50 percent by 12 by 12 o'clock like even with 15.6 it was still like unless i woke up at 10 yeah <laughs> but like if i get up at, at seven o'clock in the morning it's not at 50 percent by 12 it's at 30 35 ish but it's been dying in two hours yeah it's it's almost unusable like i leave it plugged in and when it's plugged in it gets really hot yeah thermal performance has been bad too the brightness has been limited at some points when I'm playing a light game or even just, I was on the Amazon app the other day and after like 45 minutes of using the Amazon app and using messages, my phone dropped like 20% battery and my phone was burning hot. So if you're listening and you're kind of wanting to try out all the new features, if you don't rely on your phone super heavily, I guess I would say go for it because it's one of the more stable public betas that we've seen. But if you really need your phone to do a lot of stuff every day and you need like decent battery life, I would not upgrade to this beta yet. I would wait for the public release this fall. And then speaking of reviewing, the M2 MacBook Air was sent out to reviewers this past Thursday. So we are going to get this MacBook Air the first week of August and then we will test it and do a review episode. But until then, I just kind of wanted to go over what early reviews have said because I, I know that this is a laptop that a lot of people are considering for back to school. The overwhelming consensus from reviewers is that it's a very, very good machine, as long as you're not doing a ton of intensive work. So they said M2 is great in terms of performance, can fly through your, your uh, Google Docs and Google Classroom for school. It can handle video editing, can handle a lot of stuff, almost anything you throw at that. And it also puts up like the highest single core score in Geekbench, like I think only losing to a 12900K, which is a chip that uses a ton a of power. 16 core 
processor. Yeah, so this is <laughs> nearly the fastest CPU you can get in terms of like light everyday computing. So as the name suggests, it's the MacBook Air, so it doesn't have a fan. So there's obviously thermal issues with this laptop. Sometimes. Yeah. In normal use cases, reviewers aren't seeing any thermal throttling. Yeah, The Verge's review said that during everyday tasks like multiple Chrome tabs, Spotify, Gmail, things like that, the bottom of the laptop wasn't even warm to the touch. Which is very good. Yeah, especially for this laptop because the Airs have always run a little hot. Last year's M1 Air was not too bad in terms of thermals. Our producer Aiden is recording this episode right now on his M1 Air and he's had a pretty good experience in terms of thermals. So we're gonna have Aiden on for a second. So like I said, Aiden has been using the M1 Air for heavy tasks for the past year. And if someone's a student or anyone doing light stuff, looking at the new M2 Air to buy right now, do you think they should just go with the M1 Air instead? Is that enough for most people? Yeah, actually. So it's actually a great computer, but I made a huge mistake by going with eight gigabytes of RAM instead of 16. 16 will make all the difference. And in terms of thermals, it actually takes a lot to overheat it, but when it does overheat, all I have to do is shut it down for a couple minutes and then it gets right back to normal. In normal everyday tasks at school, like Chrome and Spotify and Oh, it crushes it. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. So you don't, I mean, so people don't need to get M2 then just for day-to-day right. stuff. Correct. So an M1 Air with 16 gigs of RAM is the same price as the base M2. I wonder if that's worth it to people more than the upgraded M2 display and design. Are you talking about like 8 gigabytes on the new yeah. base model? Yeah, 8 gigs on the M2 is the same price oh, as 16 no, I on M1. Oh, no, I would 100% go with the M1, 16 gigs. 100%, any day. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're looking to buy the M2 Air, which is actually, we're recording this on Friday, July 15th, so you can go ahead and buy the M2 Air now. If you're only gonna get the base model of the M2 Air, I would look at, like Aiden said, getting the M1 Air with 16 gigs of RAM. You just don't wanna make the mistake of going with eight gigs of RAM and then not being able to turn back, unless you wanna grab another computer. Especially if you're gonna be keeping this computer for right. you know, two or three years of high school or college. Right. Well, thank you, Aiden. It was nice having you. Yeah. We're going to take one more break, and then when we get back, we'll talk about the Nothing Phone reviews and a really interesting dbrand skin. Control IC is brought to you by The Complete Backyard. The Complete Backyard is a custom pool, spa, and outdoor living design and build company. What is a design and build company? It means they take care of the design and construction of your new outdoor space. You work with them from the beginning of your project until the end. They're with you every step of the way. They specialize in custom outdoor gunite swimming pools and spas. In addition, they also design and build custom pergolas, decks, cabanas, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and outdoor living spaces. They love transforming a boring backyard into a complete home oasis. To request a consultation, go to thecompletebackyard.com. We're back. So as you probably know, Windows 10 has been around for a long time. And just recently, they released Windows 11. And Windows 11 was a huge design overhaul. And you've been using Windows 11 for a while now. Yeah, four or five months. And I love it. I have no complaints with it. And performance-wise, it's identical, if not better, than Windows 10 in games. It has better encoding and decoding of audio and video. 
it's just all around a better operating system than Windows 10. Yeah, so Windows 11 is here to stay for a year and a half. Yeah, so Microsoft is supposedly readying Windows 12 for 2024. Which is amazing, because we just had the whole big transition to Windows 11. Yeah. So Microsoft has always been shaky with their operating system releases. They go on a spree of a couple in, within... 10 years, like four or five operating systems in 10 years. And they take a huge gap in between, like they did with Windows 7 and Windows 10. Those were mm -hmm. two very large gaps. And now they're going to start knocking out OSs again, it seems. So supposedly, Windows Central reports that Microsoft is going to be shifting back to a three-year release cycle for Windows. For Windows major updates? Yeah, which means that the next major version of Windows is now due in 2024. Wow. This also changes how they develop Windows. They have a lot shorter of a time period to create new operating systems. Right. It compared like to 10 years. 20 years for Windows 11. Yeah. So do you think this is partially because of Mac OS, because of how often the design language changes in Mac OS? Do you think they're feeling any pressure there? I feel like there is definitely some motivation from Apple just so they can be competitive in the operating system space. To keep a fresh design yeah. on Windows laptops every few years. I feel like not only one of their goals should be to make it look good, but make it less resource intensive. Like a core two, a Pentium four can run Windows 10. And then Windows 11 requires like a whole different chip. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure you have to have a third gen processor or higher. And that security chip. Yeah, right? and TPM 2.0. So if you TPM. don't have that on your motherboard, you have to find ghetto workarounds that don't work very well. <laughs> so support is not great on 11. Mm-mm. For older systems, but for new systems, I've had no problems with it. I've installed it on a couple of families and friends' computers, and it seems to the install process is very smooth. It looks better. It looks different. But, yeah, all around Windows 11 is good. But if we can see Windows 12 with a different design, and if it can be a little less resource-intensive so that while gaming, you can actually enjoy a little higher frame rate. Yeah. That would Which be is really what nice. software updates are supposed to do anyway. Yeah. Alongside the release of Windows 12, apparently Microsoft still has plans to keep Windows 11 updated and running well, which is refreshing to see. Especially considering that after running Windows 10 for, what, seven years now, mm -hmm. they're dropping support in 2025. Yeah, wow. And that's going to be a huge problem for people because not everybody with computers has the budget to upgrade to a whole new computer. No, and the Windows 11 system requirements are pretty high, yeah. or at least significantly higher than the Windows 10 were. I know multiple people who are still running two early 2010s dual-core processors that have just fine. They have no problems, hmm. especially for everyday use cases. And once it drops support, they're not getting security updates. So like, oh, right. so people, like, people that are older don't have like the knowledge to update their computer with security that's workaround, like with right. firmware and BIOS updates. Like that's very difficult to do. So we're just going to end up with a lot of people stuck on unsupported, unupdated Windows 10 for a while. Yeah, which gives a lot of people access to computers. There have been numerous accounts of people losing bank account information and identity theft from Windows 7 from when they dropped support. Wow. Because there's no security concerns there anymore. You think they would have learned their lesson then? Yeah. Like, the, like if they're going to drop a new operating system, minimum 10 years of still supported security updates. Not like 
performance, but yeah. just security. Like they need a five team security. Just so you can safely use the yeah. computer in like yeah. 10 years. Like a five people security team for Windows 10 for the next, for, till 2032. Yeah. And then they can just drop it, which is totally fair to say. A lot of uh, older people, like you mentioned, will buy a Windows computer and then just keep it forever. Yeah. And they don't really have the need or the option to go out and buy a new computer that supports Windows 11. So they're just going to be stuck on unsupported 10 forever. But I guess we'll see where Windows 12 takes us with minimum requirements and performance. So our last story we're going to talk about is nothing again. Yeah, we we, like to talk about nothing. We talked about the Nothing Phone 1 in our third episode, I believe. And that was when reviewers were only allowed to review the back of the phone. So now reviewers have gotten the whole phone to review. They can review the software, the performance of it, and the Nothing Phone 1 isn't that bad. No, it's actually a fairly good phone. Coming with the base model of 8 gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigs of storage, this is already a good phone. Yeah, those are good specs to, you know, right off the bat. It's a 6.5-inch 1080p OLED with 120 hertz refresh rate which is actually pretty good for a $450 phone, which is the price of the phone one. 120 hertz OLED for 450 is better than OnePlus Nord. It's better than Pixel 5a. It's better than the Galaxy A series. This is a very heavy competitor, I feel. Yeah, and it's, it also offers 1,200 nits of peak brightness, too. That's really high. Which is really good. There's an under-display fingerprint sensor. Uh, reviewers say it has pretty snappy performance, and it also gets four years of promised software updates. That's helpful. From a startup phone company, which yeah. is very promising. So they won't just drop the phone the second they release a new one. <laughs> right. The only bad thing that reviewers are saying is that the battery life, I guess, is not amazing. But then again, it is a fairly small phone. And then the other risk with this phone is... It's just a brand new company. Yeah, so we don't have any track record of, like, We don't know how longevity. they're going to deliver software updates. Yeah. We don't know how support's going to be. Or if the phone will overheat eventually and, like, melt. We don't yeah. know exactly what's going to go on long term, but... It has a Snapdragon 778, which is a mid-range Snapdragon chip. Don't expect, like, A15 or Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 performance from this. It does have 5G, but... It's not going to be sold in the U.S., so it also doesn't work on U.S. carriers very well. So it would be better for, like, Verizon. Uh, yeah, it may work on Verizon, but not, not any other carriers. <laughs> not AT&T and not Gen5Sys. Oh, no, Gen5Sys. <laughs> when we're going to see that by the time Windows 12 is unsupported. Oh, my goodness. I'm reading the Verge review right now of the camera of the Nothing Phone 1. They say that the photos are vibrant and detailed, but kind of heavy on saturation, although they said it's not nearly as bad as Samsung saturation. So camera seems fine, performance seems fine, you have the cool lights on the back. Like, if you if you don't live in the US, this is actually a pretty cool phone. It's an enthusiast phone, which we haven't seen in a while. And it's incredibly unique. Yeah, there's no phone that looks like this. And there's a white version, which you've probably seen if you've Googled the phone. There's also a black version, which several reviewers got, which looks really good. The black phone with the white lights is definitely the one to get. If you have a non-Nothing phone, but you want it to look like the Nothing phone, there's a dbrand skin for that. 
So there's a dbrand skin called the something skin, and it makes your phone look just like the nothing phone. I plan on getting this. It's only available for S22 Ultra, iPhone 13 Pro Max, and Pixel 6 Pro. Never mind. <laughs> so it's only for the top three flagship US phones. But it's awesome looking. It makes your phone makes the back of your phone look like the nothing phone. If you aren't familiar with, with dbrand, they make skins for the back of your phone. So you apply this to the back of your phone. It doesn't really offer much protection, but it looks awesome. Also in dbrand news, they have a new laptop skin for the new M2 MacBook Air. It's called the Craigbook skin. In our first episode, we talked about a moment in Apple's software event where Craig Federighi was running through a hallway in slow motion, running his hand through his hair, and dbrand basically screenshotted that image and put it on a skin. So you can now have a Craig Federighi MacBook. It's definitely interesting. It looks so good. We're definitely reviewing one. So that is it for episode five of Control IC. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. I am at ColdWWWeb. And I'm at Utterly Drew. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Control AC is hosted by Andrew Utterback and Cole Weber. And our sound design and music is done by Aiden Perkins. Once again, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.